Blog Talk Radio. I own it, I did that, not proud that that was me, and when I face it, I take back a little dignity, not looking for excuses, I just want to be free from power. everyone and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm Ellie and I'm joined tonight by my co-host Amanda. Hi Amanda. Hi Elle. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Good. That's that's good. Well, on tonight's show, we're going to talk about how to move from contemplating about uh, contemplating what to do about your drinking into actually doing something about it, otherwise known as a contemplative arc. And what sparked the idea behind this show is that we get a lot of emails from people that are who say that they are still drinking, but they're concerned they may have a problem, or they are trying not to drink, and listening to this show is one of their tools to try to stay sober. And, of course, we are so grateful that this show helps people on their journey both towards and in uh, sobriety. And uh, we we do notice that there's a, several patterns that emerge um, both in real life and from the feedback that we get from listeners um, and we did talk a bit about this on our January 3rd show about hitting bottom. But one thing we see is that the arc of contemplating whether or not you're an alcoholic looks very similar for most people. And this is especially true of people who are earlier on in this process and who have yet to experience any outward or very many outward ramifications from their drinking. So we thought it would be helpful tonight to talk about what this contemplative arc typically looks like for many people and provide a few resources that can be helpful in, helpful in finding community because, as we talk about all the time on this show, community is the key to getting sober. We do not have to do this alone. Many people say that if you're asking yourself whether or not you are an alcoholic, then you probably are. And we do agree with this sentiment for the most part, but we have one caveat that we think is pretty important, and, and we will talk about this on the show tonight, that we believe that many people get hung up on the A word, on the word alcoholic. There are online debates about whether or not it's a disease. There are discussions about what the medical definition of an alcoholic is. And, of course, there are all the horror stories about the destruction caused by alcoholism in the media, and all of this fuels people's ability to compare um, themselves against other people's uh, other people's drinking instead of identify and say things for themselves, which is sort of the, the war cry of denial, which is that I'm not that bad. Um, and I can certainly relate to that. Um, when <laughs> someone says, <laughs> when someone says the word alcoholic, everyone has a picture in their head about what that looks like. A loved one who, who struggled, the mom arrested for drunk driving, the homeless person on the street, the guy who embarrasses himself at the company party. The list goes on and on. Um, There are countless quizzes you can take online. There are blogs you can read and podcasts you can listen to on your request to to determine whether or not you're truly an alcoholic. But let's face it, the A word is loaded with meaning for most people. It's scary and it's smothered in stigma. There is an idea out there that you have to hit bottom in order to get help with your drinking. We don't agree. As we discussed in our show two weeks ago, hitting bottom is an elusive concept and it looks different for everyone. And as we know, what constitutes hitting bottom is a moving target. Lots of people draw this line in the sand and tell themselves, if I do this, like drink in the morning or drink and drive or miss work, then I have a problem and I'll stop drinking. It is a hallmark of addiction to justify these lines that we draw in order to avoid the hard truth that we are an alcoholic. How many times do we wake up in the morning and say, that's it, I'm not drinking like this again, or I'm never going to drink again, only to find ourselves in the same situation hours, days, or weeks later? Wrestling with the A word keeps a lot of people stuck in a comparative loop of I'm not that bad or I'm not as bad as her or him or that hasn't happened to me yet, so I can't be an alcoholic. So let's forget about the A word. It's just a word, just a label. In the end, if your drinking is having a negative impact on your inner emotional landscape or your energy or your health or your ability to cope, 
and that is enough to consider the role alcohol is playing in your life. What we have found is that along, as long as the discussion of whether or not we have a problem with alcohol is happening, only in our own head, it's a never-ending loop of justification, consequences, consequences and shame. Absolutely. It was certainly true for me and for so many of the people that I know in recovery and for people that we hear from and listeners that we hear from. Um, so we thought it might be good to talk about, this is just a just a list, there's so many different ways that people think and uh, act when they are in contemplation and these are all kind of like different iterations on denial also because I think denial really is what keeps us keeps us stuck um but there's there's definitely a corollary between how we think and act and uh, when we're in this contemplation mode um so we thought we would list a few of those for you tonight one of them when this was a popular one that I did was to keep a mental checklist of reasons why I couldn't be an alcoholic um that you know that I would one my one of the biggest ones that I had actually was um that I didn't drink when I was pregnant with my children and I was well into my daily drinking at that point and um was able to stop when I was pregnant and for 10 months and I completely ignored the fact that as soon as I delivered and and uh was no longer breastfeeding my children then I went right back to where I had been I just thought that that alcoholics couldn't possibly stop for any reason at all and so if I could stop for 10 months then that couldn't be a check mark in the alcoholic column. Um, another common uh, thought processes that we have is that we make promises to ourselves about our drinking that we eventually break. This is goes back to what Amanda was talking about, the line in the sand that we keep moving. Um, and you know, I could I could at least find many, many, many different ways to justify. You know, I, one of my lines in the sand was, you know, if I ever drink and drive with my kids in the car, then I know I really have a problem. Then the first night came where it was 5 o'clock, and I was out of alcohol, and I had been drinking. I wasn't drunk, but I had been drinking. And sure enough, I put the kids in the car to go to the liquor store, telling myself, oh, it's just a couple of miles down the road. I haven't been drinking that much. I forget that that was a hard and fast rule that I had for myself. And, and those, so those lines can get blurry really, really quickly when we're in this stage. Amanda, do you want to talk about some of the other ones? Yeah, uh, well, you know, I was uh, just going to say I was, you know, there came a point where those, the, you know, the lines in the sand, I did exactly that. They they kept moving. And um, it, it was, I was making compromises on myself quicker than I could could make the deals with myself, you know, it, 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 um, it accelerates. So I think, um, I mean, that's, to me, that's a, a huge thing. It's just justifying. And, and, um, <clears throat> there's a saying and, um, that I heard that the longer that I've been well, the sicker that I, I see I was. And mm-hmm. it's because, you know, you, I, you know, you can look back and say, wow, you know, I, there's so many things that I can look back on and say, Wow, how did I ever think that was okay? But when you're in it, it's really hard to see that you're um, that you are moving that line, you know, continuously mm-hmm. moving it and and further and further. You you um, denial is this little sneaky thing that really clouds your ability to see what's going on. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> another um another thing that I used to do is watch other people's drinking habits and compare myself to them. Um both people who drink less and drink more with me it was um I know I I had people in my life that drank pretty severely and had some major consequences in their life, you know, multiple DUIs, even jail time. Um and I would look at that and say, well, you know, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not as bad as that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and people who drank less, I would just say, oh, they're lightweights, or you know, they they don't know how to have fun. <laughs> that was there's something wrong with them, right? There's something wrong with them. Another common thing that people do in the contemplative stage is switch the type of alcohol that they drink. You know, only drink wine or drink beer. Um, or make rules around their drinking that they can't sustain. And I was the queen of that. I was always, I would say, stuff like, um, 
I remember, I, I, you know, oh, I can only drink vodka. I don't seem, it doesn't affect me the same way as wine, where wine makes me feel really hungover and I seem to get out of control or it makes me sleepy. Or um, another deal I used to make with my ex-husband is we'd go out and he'd, it, it was, um, I had to have a water every other drink. Um, <laughs> and that never lasted. I would do that for the beginning of the night, and then I'd end the night with shots <laughs> or something to do, you know, because, <laughs> you know, I would just, all it would mean is I drank an awful lot of water and had to go to the bathroom a lot. I mean, it, it just it did not slow me down. Um, but, you know, m- making, you know, making rules around the drinking, you know, you can't drink, at, I won't drink until 5 o'clock, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, you know, <laughs> there's so many. Uh, I, did one, I did one where I would only drink when somebody else was in the house because I thought drinking alone was one of those big check marks of, of you know, a hallmark of being an alcoholic. And so um, actually what it started was I would only drink with my husband and then when that was not sustainable, I said, well, at least he's in the house. You know, <laughs> he might be up there yeah. working like an adult, and I'm down here <laughs> sucking down glasses of wine, but I'm not drinking alone because he's in the house. You know, that's, right. It, Never it mind just, that it, you're it was... sneaking it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And and the th- I think the thing that is so um, common with all of this is that it, it's it's a – it's a logic that truly made sense to me at the time, given the circumstances that I had. I mean, I was really so desperate to not think that I was an alcoholic and had to stop drinking. And But but honestly, when I was in this contemplative phase, it really wasn't about whether or not I was an alcoholic, even though that was certainly what was behind all of this on a subconscious level. I mean, it became mm-hmm. that for me, but initially it was more... I drink too, I drink more than other people, and I'm not not really sure that it's really serving me very well. And so I'm I'm going to control this. It was about control rather than trying to avoid being an alcoholic. It, it got to that point, but um, by nature, I think trying to control our drinking with these these different things that we're discussing is a way of avoiding coming to terms with the fact that you may that you might be an alcoholic. Um, yeah. I do. Yeah, I know one thing that. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just. um, Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. That's okay. I was. um, I was going to say one of the things that I did um, is overcompensate in Mm -hmm. every aspect of my life. For um, I made myself. I guess you could call it perfectionism. I would. um, I would work really hard and excel at my job. Um, the house was always perfectly clean. Um, I did everything. I took care of everything around the house, everything in the yard. If you came to my yard, um, you know, the, you know, my garden was beautiful. You know, I was constantly, you know, planting new things and and you know, building patios and and fixing things around the house. And I didn't need anyone to help me and doing all these different things and. Um, that was actually it gave me another um line in the sand that I could move, which was um not drinking in the morning or early in the day. If I was doing all these things around the house on a weekend, you know that in my mind justified me starting drinking because if I was working that hard i could I was allowed to do mm-hmm. whatever I wanted to do and <laughs> I really pitied the person who told me otherwise, my poor ex. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. That's drinking as a reward system, in in large mm-hmm. part. Um, for me, the idea that I could have a glass of wine or six at the end of the day was something that gave me a peace of mind as early, you know, earlier in the day, like noon or one, or if I had a stressful meeting or something. I can get through this because I have my relief valve at the end of the day. Um, and yeah, the perfectionism yeah. was a huge part of what I, some of it was conscious and some of it was subconscious, but um, it's only become clearer to me in recovery now. If I, if something, if my house isn't perfectly neat or if I miss a parent-teacher conference or, you know, if something, something isn't perfect in my outside world, I don't have that feeling of panic, like, oh my God, that's because I drank. You know, even if it wasn't directly related to my drinking at the time, I would think, you know, 
it's because I'm hungover or because I'm tired or distracted or there people are going to look too closely at my behaviors if I if I don't keep everything looking smooth on the outside. There was a, right. a legit feeling of panic that 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 that's because of my drinking. That this is a, it's a shame thing, you know, that I'm a bad person and that's why these things are happening. Um, yeah. Interestingly, though, when I, when you're in contemplation, I didn't make the leap from, oh my gosh, I missed the parent teacher conference because I'm tired and hungover and I forgot about it. To maybe I should do something about my drinking. <laughs> it was no. Yeah. I need to make sure I I don't miss another parent teacher conference. I mean, it's that's that's just by nature of what this contemplative arc looks like. It's because it's not. I think I, I mentioned this on a show a few weeks ago, but there's an expression that. You know, people with a or alcoholics um, modify their life around their drinking, and non-alcoholics modify their drinking around their life. And mm-hmm. I certainly modified my life around my drinking, and and um, that's def- another very very common sign of people who are in this contemplation mode. I mean, to be in contemplation, you have to have some awareness of the fact that you drink more than other people, or that perhaps. This is causing some havoc, if, if only emotionally, um, because certainly there was a whole phase of this beforehand where I was just like, you know, I would just drink and didn't really give it much thought, particularly yeah. when I was younger. When I was younger, you know, I so we I, want, I realize now, like I, I don't. The other thing I think about this phase is that <clears throat> I think I was in a contemplative phase and I didn't know I was in a contemplative phase, mm-hmm. and so I, I. Yeah. I or I think most people probably are that way. It's it's um, you know they're just you know I knew I knew my drinking was I I knew that drinking wasn't serving me well. Like there you know there were there were incidents that happened that you know like I, you know the waking up extremely hungover and stuff like that. I I normalized it. And um, and I just you know I I look at other people and say well it happens to them too it might have happened to them once a year and it might happen to me every other week but I would hang mm-hmm. on to those things but I also I didn't realize I mean the thing is I was thinking about my drinking I think at you know not all the time because I didn't even ha- I didn't when I probably didn't even have things happening all the time but you know I had to think about my there was discussions about my drinking. And mm-hmm. in my head and with my husband and with my friends, um, it, it, you know, they're just more often than not, you know, rather than, and, and or and it also became more frequent as time went on. You know, there, mm-hmm. it might have been, you know, you had like, you know, in my earlier years, you might have had like four times a year you had, you did something crazy stupid and you felt awful for days or whatever and then, it you know you get older and it it it's like once a month and then the next thing you know it's once a week and then next thing you know it's <laughs> yeah. in the end it was every day. Um, yes, but yeah, it was, and the, and the time that it takes to justify these things takes up more and more space in our head as that happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, these are all. I mean, this is this is by not even by a long shot a comprehensive list of the things that we do. Um, as we're as we're in this contemplative pattern, um, but we did want to spend some time on the show today talking about what can you do to break this contemplative loop. I mean, the first step is obviously to identify that you're even in this phase. And um, reading books and blogs and listening to podcasts like the Bubble Hour is a critical part of gathering information and moving towards action. Um, the gathering information phase is also known as pre-contemplation, which is what you can do before serious contemplation sometimes too. And um, certainly people who are listening to the bubble hour typically are um, people who are sober and, and we're another tool in their toolbox for people who are, you know, for me at least in the earliest stages it was Googling things like am I an alcoholic or do I have a problem with drinking and stumbling upon resources like the bubble hour and other blogs that are out there. Um, and it's a fantastic, fantastic first step, absolutely. But they're all still passive. They allow you to gather information um, and listen and identify and figure out how you, you know, come to terms more with how you feel about your own drinking. Um, but you may still find yourself unable to take any action or make any changes, even though you want to on some level. 
Um, and I and I think a lot of us, and I'll say this is true for it was for me. I wanted to, but I I didn't want to. I wanted to make some changes, and I wanted to drink less, and I wanted to. St- I just wanted to stop having to think about it all the time, and worry about it all the time. And my when I was in contemplation. It, it wasn't because I was going to get sober. It was because I was going to get a handle on it. <laughs> That's, yeah. And, yeah. I think one of the things that we, we want to emphasize or underscore for tonight's show is um, kind of sort of fostering a gentleness or a self-compassion for yourself if you're in this phase where you're trying these different things and you're still trying to control your drinking and you think that you're going to get a handle on it or you're trying different forms of moderation we tend to be very black and white thinkers. It's all or nothing all the time. And very, very few people wake up one morning, If you're, especially if you're truly an alcoholic, you don't really wake up one morning and say, well, like that's it then. I'm going to go get help and I'm going to stop doing this now. It's, there's almost always, I'd say 98% of the time, there's a progression to this thought process. And so being in this phase is a really critical component of making it. And this is true not just with drinking, it's with making any life change. I I think that um, something people can relate to a lot easier oftentimes is food. I mean, food addictions and, and eating disorders and things are, are sister addiction to alcohol and drugs and other numbing agents. And, you know, it's it's a it's a process and to be kind to ourselves as a part of this process i think is a is a really important thing to underscore because you know shame we beat ourselves up out of shame and and fear can be a great motivator to make change but it doesn't have to be the only one i think finding ways to um find support and reward ourselves for making an effort to make a change is an important piece of this too so we'll highlight some of those things um and then talk a little bit about what we have done, but the, some some ways to move from more passive information gathering into taking some actual action. And one of the first ones for many of the people that we talked to, and it was certainly an important thing for me as well, is to join an online community. It can be a great first step. And you hear us talk about the BFB a lot, the Booze Free Brigade here on this show. A lot of the guests that we have on are members of that community um, we don't feel comfortable sharing specifically how to join that private Facebook community, but if you send us an email at thebubblehour um, at gmail.com, we'd be happy to provide that information with you. It's a fantastic resource for people that are in all stages of um, some people are still drinking, some people are in early recovery, some people have been in recovery for a long time. Um, it's a very interactive, and it's a great source of support for, for both Amanda and myself for sure. Another is mm-hmm. SoberRecovery.com and InTheRooms.org and WomenForSobriety.org and Hazelton, sorry, HazeltonSocial.org. And we're going to put all of these websites on the blog post that we do after the show, um, list these uh, links for you so that you don't have to write them all down. But these are all interactive chat rooms that um, we've seen, and they're reputable, and many of them are private. Most of them, I think, are private. They do require some login. But they are – it's a, it's a, just an amazingly powerful thing to go to one of these online communities, and you, you can be – many of us can be braver from behind a screen than we can in real life. And put your hand up. Introduce yourself with a pseudonym if you have to. And just be honest about where you are and what you're afraid of and what it is that you're seeking help, you know, that you would like some help and some community. And it takes the contemplative loop that's been in your head over and over and over again, and it just gets it out of your head and, and puts you in front of other people who can immediately identify and respond. Um, for many, many people, online is the first place that they speak their truth out loud. And yeah. It's transformative. It really, it's transformative. We we don't think that. At least I'll speak for myself. I think that it's best served if it's a platform to help you gain courage to find some people in real life to talk to, and to find some community face to face. I don't think it's as effective if your only source of support is online. But having said that, I do see people that do it successfully that way, and a lot of times these online connections do become in real life friendships and. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a firm believer in anything that helps you speak your truth and feel safe and find community is a good. It's a good way. 
I just, for me, I need to augment that with some some face-to-face in real life recovery network um, of friends and support. So that's well, because sometimes one. you just need a hug. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Well, you know, and it's also the very important piece too of there's the people that are in my life that I see frequently that are in recovery. They, um, because our brains, we all think the same and we we feel the same, and it's just so incredible to be with people who just get you, who you don't have to explain how your brain works and and you know why it is that it's hard for you to not drink in this situation or why you're having feelings that you can't identify. That sometimes people can see something on my face or in my behavior that I can't see myself, and yeah. when I'm interacting with people online, they can only work with what it is that I choose to share with them. Um, in other words, people in my in my real life community they they can call me out <laughs> in ways that my online community can't. Um, yeah, but it's, that's that that tends to come down the road anyway. After you've got some recovery under your belt, it's just being able to talk about your drinking with people who are not going to judge you and who completely understand how it is that you're feeling. That's what the power of community can provide you, and you can get that online very easily. Yes, it's quite mind-blowing, the instant connection of people in recovery because there's just, I don't know, there's something in it. You can have nothing in common with someone, but there's just a, a connection on, on how we think. <laughs> it's just, it's you know, just even just our thought process because it is different. I You know, I see situations at work that, you know, someone someone's take on a situation versus mine um, it's so different and, you know, I work with a couple of other people who are in recovery and they, you know, they have the same response that I do. And yeah. It's, yeah. it's it's amazing how, I don't know, we just seem to see the world through a different veil or something. It's, it's just different. Um, another, another way of getting unstuck is, is telling even just one person um that you you're concerned about your drinking it can be a trusted friend a family member a therapist a doctor a spiritual advisor or anyone um that anyone that you trust you know they, just telling them that you think you might have a problem with alcohol there's some there's this amazing power in voicing that out loud to another person um because if you know it it just it, it helps with accountability it helps you get it off your chest it's a really powerful thing. So if you're not not comfortable, you know, some people don't do computer stuff. I I had never searched for these resources before. Well, that was my extreme denial too. Um, but I hadn't <laughs> I hadn't searched. I wouldn't have known how to find an online community. And actually, I don't know how many there were. That you know, not that it was that long ago. But it's amazing how many communities are available today even then from five years ago. And, you know, I it's not something I would have thought of at that time. I You know, maybe I would have, if, you know, if it was a different period of time. But talking to, I talked to a couple people. I talked to my dad. I talked to Ellie. I talked to, you know, I, I, had, I had a couple of friends that I talked to. Um, the one thing that's important about that, too, is, um, one thing that I know I did is I I would talk to people who I knew would justify. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a little bit of a different thing. So we're talking about someone who <clears throat> would hold you accountable. When I when I say someone who would justify my drinking, I there were definitely I, I think well before I was ready to do anything, I would talk to people who drank like me. And we would kind of sit there and say, yeah, I'm an alcoholic, yeah, I'm an alcoholic too. But we were kind of, you know, like, oh, that's all right. You know, we're we're, we're mm-hmm. cool like that or we're good like that. So that's not, <laughs> that that's still back there in the denial stage. Yeah, that's not, that's so not I, the uh, truth-telling that we're talking about. <laughs> no, no, this is a real honest discussion when you're sober, not when you're drunk at a bar. This is a real honest discussion saying, you know, I, you know, I think I, you know, I, I'm having a problem with alcohol. And again, not, you know, you know, we're not suggesting that you go to someone and say, I think I'm an alcoholic, you know, check me into rehab. Just, just voice, mm-hmm. you know, I'm concerned about my drinking. There's a, you know, and then you'll be amazed at the 
it's because that conversation is as much with yourself as it is with them. Um, getting getting those words out there. Something about once they leave. I, I know for me, once it once it finally got out there for me, like oh yeah, this is a problem. That was it. It was like okay, and now I need to now that I've verbalized this. Now I need to do something about it. So there's a lot of power mm-hmm. in doing that. It's it plants a seed external to yourself. I mean, and those things tend to take root. Um, it's not a magic bullet. It doesn't mean that suddenly you're going to be highly motivated to stop drinking, but it just it it sort of it turns the volume down on the shame. It makes it less infl- for me. It made it less inflamed, and it felt like a weight off my shoulders. Um, although, as a sidebar, one of the first people that I chose to tell was you, Amanda, back when you were still drinking, and I thought my grand plan was I was going to talk to you about my drinking because you drank like I did and you were going to tell me I didn't have a problem and that's that's not at all how it went down. <laughs> Amanda's true. response was to say, yeah, you do, and pour all the alcohol out and tell me that I needed to get help. And that was a shocker. That's not at all how I expected her to respond. Um, but what that did for me was, and I was pretty angry and upset, not really at her, but just at the fact that it, that didn't get the response that I wanted and it was a couple of weeks later that I decided to go to an outpatient um, program. And it, I didn't end up magically getting sober even after that conversation with Amanda or after attending that program, but I can draw a line right back to that moment where somebody that I loved and trusted and who I knew didn't have any ulterior motive said, yeah, you do have a problem. And, you know, the, the power of that shared truth is really what started me on the on the path to recovery. Um, so thank you, even though, wow, you made me mad at the time. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that was awkward. Um, and along (laughs) the same lines, the the, the next two that we have on the list here are are sort of interrelated and, and it's just to do, do one thing that scares you. If there's something you're reluctant to do as it pertains to your drinking, it's most likely to be the thing that will be the most impactful um, and for many people, this is to attend a recovery meeting. And um, there are, you know, as we've said, we always provide the caveat that we do not endorse any particular program of recovery. Um, but there are 12-step recovery meetings absolutely everywhere. And uh, we're going to post the website for where you can find those as well when we post the show. Um and there are meetings that are referred to as open recovery meetings where anybody can attend and you don't even that you can bring a loved one or a family member you don't even have to be somebody who thinks they have a problem with alcohol to go and you sit in a chair and you listen to people share their stories and we had a show a while back where we talked about what you can expect at 12 step recovery meetings so that people aren't quite as intimidated you can also email us at thebubblehour at gmail.com if you have questions about this, and we'd be happy to speak about our own personal experiences. We are not endorsing any program. We are just sharing what has been helpful for us. Um, and if you, deep down inside, really don't want to do that or something else, like tell somebody um, or speak your truth in any form, whether it's online or in person, really take a hard look at why and and think about saying, wow, if I can just do this one brave thing, I can just be brave just for this one split second and get this truth out or or show up and and meet some people in real life and say, hey, you know, I think I might have a problem. Um, Ultimately, what you do with that is up to you. It's not up to them, but it can be unbelievably impactful because at least for me, especially in recovery now, I know that if there's something I'm really reluctant to do out of fear, it's probably something that's incredibly good for me and important to do. Um, yeah. And that, and that's, you know, if uh, that's another way that an online community can help you progress towards the idea that maybe you could talk to somebody in person about this and be okay and not only be okay, but start to start to really feel free of the shame. Um. And, and the, it can and also the be one, like um go ahead. Oh sorry. I was gonna say it can also be, you know, if you know, if we if you meet someone in an online community, um, you know, when they say, you know, let's meet for coffee and, you know, let's talk, um, you know, we're <laughs> obviously it's 
we're at work, you know, be safe, make sure it's someone that you've gotten to know. And we always recommend um, that women stick with women, men stick with men, just, you know, um, for various reasons, because it can get convoluted, you know, you don't want it to be like a dating scenario. That's not what we're suggesting at all. But sitting down, if you've met someone in an online community and, you know, you uh, feel comfortable with them and they suggest getting together for coffee or something, you know, go to go to a Starbucks or whatever, Dunkin' Donuts, whatever you prefer, and you know, sit down and just chat with them. You know, chat with them in person. It's, ter- it's terrifying, but if you're mm-hmm. if you're really hesitant to go to a recovery meeting, you know, there's there's other things too. It could be you know, let's meet and go to yoga. I mean, yoga is actually a, a really good tool for a lot mm-hmm. of people in recovery. You hear that all the time. Um, because mm-hmm. it's people with there, I think people who practice yoga are like-minded as well. So you know, just get out of your comfort zone and try to do something a little bit different. I think that's really the key is is about getting out of your comfort zone because uh, for me and for so many other people, being stuck in in a in active either if you want to say active addiction or alcoholism or just being stuck in a in a habit that isn't serving you is it's a rut it's like it's groundhog day it's the same thing over and over and over and even though i was miserable it was familiar it was even comfortable because it was familiar even though i knew i wasn't happy and i knew that i wasn't living to my full potential um so making one sea change like that one small change to do something for yourself like sign up for a yoga class or start exercising, or talk to somebody, or do something that is good for you, that you that is for self-care, um, those things also have a way of taking root and, and breaking that cycle. If, if 5 o'clock is a difficult time for you, and that's when you come home from the day, or you've, you've finished a long day home with the kids, or whatever it is that your witching hour is, instead of reaching for a glass of wine, say, maybe I'll try going for a walk, or maybe I'll try going to a yoga class, or calling a friend and just talking to another friend. It doesn't even have to be about your drinking, but just change, start making small seed changes in your life that are for you and not for everybody else. And that can be an incredibly powerful um, and empowering thing to to start to kind of dial down on that shame cycle of oh here I go again I'm doing it again and I'm going to wake up the next morning and I'm going to you know that that loop of of promises that we break to ourselves um and as you're doing this I and we've emphasized this a lot on the show as well be gentle on yourself you don't have to do everything perfectly all at once there's a you know we get that defeatist attitude well I tried that and it failed so f it I'm not you know I'll do this with with when I'm trying to lose weight, or if I'm on a diet, I'll be really good for four days, quote unquote good, for for four days, and then I'll you know slip up and eat something I'm not supposed to, and I'll say, oh the hell with it, I'll just start next you know Monday or the next first of the month, or push it off, and instead of really taking the time to honor the fact that this is a process and I'm doing the best that I can, and there's going to be stops and starts. It's just the way it's the way our brains work when we're trying to deprogram you know, a habit that has formed over years and years and years. And so having some self-compassion instead of looking for another reason to beat ourselves up is, is again, a huge part of breaking that shame cycle. Give yourself credit for making really important changes in your life and, and finding things that actually serve you and enrich you. Um, because it's, you know, we don't need another reason to beat ourselves up. We have plenty of those, especially the women that I know. We tend to be so hard on ourselves. Um, so the common denominator in all of these things is to, in order to move from contemplation to action is reaching out and telling your truth. Um, as we've, if we've said over and over again, it's astonishing the power of getting the words out and what that has, what that does to break the hold that shame and denial have on us. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a transformative experience and, and we can't, um, we cannot emphasize that enough that get it out of your head. Another another baby step towards this is to start writing. Keep a journal, write down things that you feel like you can't ever tell another person or the things that that are really scaring you about your drinking and at least start to put them move them from your head onto the written page. That's another way to start moving forward. Um and mm. anything to get out of your own head, I think is really critical. Absolutely. Um and 
not to dwell on the on the negative piece of this, but I think it's an important thing to talk about too is is reasons why people don't reach out, and they're all based in fear. We have a fear of being judged. If we're thinking about going to a 12-step recovery meeting, we have a fear that we're going to see somebody we we know. Um, We have a fear that we'll have to stop drinking forever if we do this. You know that you know if I if I go to a a 12-step recovery meeting and you know and I don't immediately stop drinking, that means I can't go anymore. I can't keep reaching out. Absolutely not. I mean, it's in the in the um, BFB, the community that we're both members of. People come on again and again and say, "I'm doing the best I can," but. You know, I drank last night, and I think I know why, and here's why, and here's what I might be able to do, to, or or ask for help. What can I do to have this not happen again? Or has this happened to all of you, too, and what did you do? So that as we're, you know, two steps forward and one step back, as we're moving through these stops and starts, as we're trying to make this change, you have other people right there beside you who can say, oh, yeah, I did that, too, and this is what helped for me. And that changes that tape in our head. It just changes it from you are a piece of dirt and you can't get, you know, look at you, you're screwed up again, you can't do anything right to, oh, yeah, I'm I'm part of this whole amazing group of people who have been where I am and who can help me through it even when I feel like I can't help myself. Um, (laughs) Amanda speaks to this one a lot, too, but there's a fear that our life is going to be over and that we're never going to have fun again. (laughs) And... (laughs) I can I I I can attest that Amanda you are a whole lot more fun now than you ever were when yes. you were drinking. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. But that was I mean that was a huge fear. Huge fear. And it it's um it's it's just not it's not true. You I'm actually more myself than I ever was and I I have more fun than I ever did. Um, yeah, and we we get to be present for all of it. We've we we've talked about before how you know when we're numbing the hard feelings with alcohol, when we're trying to dial down on boredom or anger or resentment or s- sadness or fear, we don't get to selectively dial down our emotions. We're also numbing out joy and presence and happiness and peace of mind and serenity. Those things also get numbed. To the point where you know we we at least I couldn't feel those things without the assistance of alcohol. I drank to feel anything. Um, yeah, oh God, that's a horrible place to be. And when I got enough into recovery, it didn't happen overnight. But when I got a little recovery under my belt to be able to experience a moment of joy, just or a, you know having a peaceful moment with my children and not running to run in the next room and have a sip of wine. I mean that those become their own rewards. It's pretty. It's pretty amazing. Um, well, the other and, thing and, too is you get to remember the the you. Um, I, I I was the queen of not remembering, you know. So even if mm-hmm. I had those feelings, like you, you know, you were saying about drinking to feel feelings, and you know, including the good ones. I I mean, there's so many, you know, times I would have people say to me like, "Oh, that was so much fun last night," and I'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, sure it was." <laughs> like what did I do? <laughs> I don't remember. But I had. Fun. I don't remember. At least I guess yep. I didn't make a fool out of myself this time. I mean, it's 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 um yeah. It's, well, and I was thinking it, about this the other day. Better. I was having a conversation with um somebody about the amount of work it was for me. You know, getting up the next day and and having to look at my husband and gauge how he was feeling, like how far did I take it the night before? I mean, even if I thought I remembered the whole night, there was always the possibility that I had a gray out or a blackout, and the the constant just wariness and fear around what did I say, what did I do, you know, have I gone off the handle again? Is there something that I need to repair that I don't even fully understand why he's angry? I mean, just taking everybody's temperature around me all the time. Um, just to try to figure out the impact that my drinking was having on other people. And, you know, if you want to talk about fear, I mean, the the fear of speaking my truth pales in comparison to how I had lived in fear constantly when I was actively drinking. Yeah, Um, I have to say that's one of the number one things that keeps me sober is mm -hmm. I never, ever, 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 ever want to feel that way again. I never yeah. want to have to wonder what I did the night before. I hate that, like, I hated that feeling. 
I woke, I, you know, in yeah. the end I would wake up with just incredible dread every day. Yeah. Dread. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, even if you're not drinking to the point where you're having gray outs or blackouts, I think any, anybody who has a tendency to overindulge on a regular basis knows that feeling of opening your eyes and having your stomach fall into your feet and going, even if it's, oh, I did it again, I drank again, I drank more than I wanted to. That feeling mm. of breaking promises that we make to ourselves is it's it's just a horrible horrible feeling and yeah you know I don't I I very rarely break a promise that I make to myself anymore you know I part of that is that I don't I'm not a, as bad at, as a perfectionist as I used to be so I set more reasonable expectations and goals for myself yeah. Um, yeah. But if I've if I've done or said anything that hurt another person, I know that I did it. I know even why I did it, even if it wasn't justified. And I know that I can clean it up with an amends or an apology. It no longer is a reflection of, of who I am as a person. It's just a reflection of a mistake I made. And yeah. that's the biggest difference is just waking up and being, you know, present and whole in, in my mind and in my body and just not feeling that constant sense of playing catch-up with everything all the time. Um, and, you know, and I, and I think it's also important to, to underscore that I talk to a lot of people who are right here where we're talking about. They're moving from contemplation to trying to do, some, do something about their drinking and they're doing some really brave things and, and trying a recovery meeting or talking to people or reaching out online and they're doing these things for themselves and they're full of fear and it's really scary and it's hard to do. But I literally cannot think of a single example, and we've been doing this for years now, Amanda, you and I, of somebody mm-hmm. saying, I wish I didn't do that. I wish I hadn't told somebody. I wish I hadn't gone to gotten help. I've never heard anybody. That it, it's kind of like what I tell my son when he has to go get a, a shot at the doctor. Like the anticipation of this thing is so much scarier than the reality of it that, you know, once you actually have this shot, you're going to be like, that's it? Really? That's all it was? Yeah. It's the it's the stories we weave in our head and the anticipation that we have that is it's far worse than in reality. I don't know of a single person who says, "I wish I hadn't spoken up. I wish I hadn't talked about this yeah. with somebody who cares and who can help me." It's um, you know, it's I can I don't know. I I probably talk to four or five people a week who are right here in this place that we're talking about on this show tonight and. Um, the rewards that they reap almost instantaneously from breaking out of that loop are are staggering. It's really it's an honor to be able to watch how their lives change and how they change and become comfortable with who they are. Yeah. Because uh, having gone through the list of why it's hard and why it's full of why it's scary, it's really important that you know we, we I think we just did this just to to emphasize why it's worth it. Why you know. When we move from feeling stuck and alone and full of shame to finding people who really understand us and love us exactly as we are, I mean, how how much our lives change and um, how we really come into ourselves and how powerful that is. It's so totally worth it on every level. It's totally worth it. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, so we've covered a lot of some some facts on the show and we um we will definitely post these links on the show when we um we always post the the link to the widget to listen to the show as well as what the show description was on our blog at thebubblehour.com and so we will provide these links and um we always close the show with giving our email which is thebubblehour@gmail.com and so if you're curious about any of the things that we've talked about on the show or want some more information please please send us an email and we will help in any way that we can in steering you in the right direction. One of the benefits of being on an online community also is that we we basically have a global reach at this point. We have people that we know all over the country and even the world um, who we can connect with other people, and it's a pretty powerful thing. Yeah. So please don't hesitate to reach out to us if you are feeling motivated at all from the things that you've heard tonight. And um, before I close the show, Amanda, is there anything that you want to just emphasize or talk about that you took away from tonight's show? Um, I guess, guess, you know, one thing is, you know, again, reach out and know that um, the fears that you have, you know, fear fear is uh, a big part of 
the disease. It uh, the, your disease is telling you that you're, you know, you can't do these things. That it's too hard. It's 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 part of the whole the way your because your your disease wants you to stay sick, and so yeah. the fears that we have that's that's your alcoholism or actually we're not using that word tonight but you know it's it's it's, it's, it's your shame it really your shame the, self yeah yeah it's it's that's what it's it it you know it wants you to stay sick and so you know just breaking breaking that voice in your head you know breaking it down you know getting past that fear just like Ellie said you know just one thing um, can is incredibly powerful. So you know, give yourself a chance. It is so much better on the other side. You know, getting getting through it, and then you know, it's definitely not easy um, in the beginning, but it is well worth it. Absolutely. Well, you stole the same thing that I was going to say. That <laughs> if, if there's one if there's one takeaway that you get from tonight's show, it would be that we are. Um, you know, we know literally hundreds of people that can testify to why it's worth it. And one of the biggest gifts that I got, it t- again, this took a while, was realizing that I, feeling, really believing and feeling that I'm worth it. If for me, yeah. I had to start with some outside pressures. You know, I was in hot water with this or this relationship wasn't going well or I, I was motivated by guilt and fear initially just because I couldn't, I mean, I, I had I had to stop drinking um but then the transformative power of, of wanting to be sober and really believing that I was worthy of the kind of gifts that were coming to me that's I always say that sobriety brought me back to myself and you know I I just I can't even really put into words how amazing that is yeah so thank you Amanda for everything and um and no, close thank the you, show Mary. tonight yeah, we would like to direct you to our parent organization, ShiningStrong.org. There you will find links to all of our resources, including the Bubble Hour and Crying Out Now and other initiatives around recovery advocacy. Visit the Bubble Hour's website at the thebubblehour.com to find a link to many recovery resources, including Jean's blog, Unpickled, and my blog, One Crafty Mother. Our email address is thebubblehour at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and please let us know your feedback about tonight's show and any other topic suggestions you may have. We have been getting some fabulous topic suggestions on the email recently, so please, if there's something you want to hear more about, um, don't hesitate to send us an email. And as always, we thank all of you for listening to the Bubble Hour and hope that you all have a great evening. Thanks, Amanda. All right. Thanks, all. Good night. Good night.